I grew up going to church. I really loved Sunday school. I remember sitting crisscross applesauce, getting as close as I could to that little flannel graph board, right? Cardboard with flannel material. And the Sunday school teacher would place the characters on the board so that we could just learn about Jesus. And I remember, ooh, I remember walking away more in awe of Jesus and all the things that he did, these miracles of seeing people's needs and then doing something about it. And what I loved about this flannel graph type of storytelling is each character that came next to Jesus was changed. No one remained neutral when they came face to face with Jesus. I would walk, and including me, I would walk out of Sunday school every Sunday more in awe of the power and authority. And Jesus could do anything. He changes lives. He's changed my life to give up any other thing I'd live for except for him. So here's my hope for this time together today. And I hope you get this, is that we would come see Jesus and walk away changed. Because everything about this book, this story, and our lives, it's all about Jesus. He's the reason for our series Summer at the Lake, and he's the reason Mark wrote this story, this true story down in Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 35. Would you turn with me? (laughs) I saved my place. I'm already there. Are you ready? Let's go. Mark chapter 4, verse 35 begins like this. That day, (laughs) with two words in, It's screaming, you need context. What day? Well, here's what I'll give you. Quick recap. Right at this point, we're roughly halfway into Jesus' three-and-a-half-year ministry. He had been preaching all over, healing all over, and there's varying responses all over Galilee, the northern part of Israel. And each time he taught, people were amazed or angry because he taught, he healed, he did things differently than anyone else. He did it with authority. He would speak to impure spirits and say, be quiet, come out of him. And the impure spirits would obey. He, would, he spoke to a leper and said, be clean. And the leprosy leaves the man. And so this word about Jesus just spreads. It moves. And he drew the attention of everyone, including the religious leaders who began to question Jesus. In fact, in chapters 2 and 3 of Mark, before we get to this moment in Mark chapter 4, there's five successive conflicts between Jesus and the Pharisees. Then you come to a conflict Jesus experiences with his own family. In chapter 3, verse 20 says this, Then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered, of course, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family, Jesus' family, heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, he is out of his mind. And the teachers of the law, who came down from Jerusalem, said, he is possessed by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, and he is driving out demons. The rejection of the religious leaders motivates Jesus to start teaching using parables. So those with hard hearts may not understand, but those with open hearts could actually receive his truth. Then you get to Mark 35. It was that day. After the rejection and after preaching a full day using parables and explaining it to his disciples on the side, that day when evening came, verse 35, he said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side. 
and leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with them, and a furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the side of the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Did you notice what Jesus said? Did you notice his first words? It says this, let us go over to the other side. And then a storm. Jesus is leading his disciples into what he knew would be a storm. Sometimes we find ourselves in storms in life because of our disobedience to God. This scripture right off the bat proves that sometimes we can find ourselves in storms because of our obedience to Jesus. You see, God doesn't always just want to remove us from trials or in our path, take away any trial that could ever come. See, God wants to transform us through the trials, including this one, including the ones we're facing today. Jesus, verse 38, was in the stern of the boat. He was sleeping on a cushion. Jesus was really tired. It was a long day. And can I remind you of a sermon from just three weeks ago on slowing down? When you're tired, you're tired. This is the only time that the Gospels record Jesus sleeping. And it was in the middle of a storm. A storm, by the way, that Jesus put them in the middle of and then promptly fell asleep in the stern of the boat. By the way, the person who was supposed to steer the boat, the one in control, typically sits in the stern. Jesus put their lives in peril and then literally fell asleep and didn't take the wheel. But he wasn't asleep long. The disciples woke him up and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Can you imagine Jesus being asked this question? Don't you care? Jesus knows precisely why he came. He also knows what he eventually will do. And he hears these words, don't you care? But let's also give, we've got to give the disciples a little bit of credit. You see, they were, they were in a storm and they're experienced fishermen, yet this storm was unlike other storms because this one, they were terrified. They were afraid for their lives and circumstantially, it felt like Jesus did not care. Can you relate? Jesus was sleeping, not panicked. We panic in storms because of our lack of knowledge and power to do anything about it. Jesus doesn't panic because he has all knowledge and all power and he even demonstrates at verse 39. He got up, rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was calm in an instant. The difficulty for me personally in preparing this message is this weird, surprising pressure I felt to convince you that this miracle was amazing. I'll tell you, it is amazing. A storm going from fierce and deadly to glassy calm in an instant is not just unlikely, it's impossible by the rules of nature unless words come from the one who wrote the rules. Look at the words Jesus says. He rebuked and said to. Those are words for someone, not something. Jesus talks to nature like he knows it and like he had all authority over it. The wind and the waves, you ready for it? They obeyed. What about the disciples? Verse 40 tells us 
See, after he turned toward the waves and spoke to them and they obeyed, he then turns to his disciples and says this, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. After rebuking the wind and the waves, Jesus challenges his disciples. See, he expected his disciples to have faith. Oh, by the way, he has the same expectation for us. Notice the surprise in their response. The disciples, their prior fear of drowning was now exceeded by their fear of Jesus. And this, by the way, is the point of the story. I'm going to share with you three truths about this story, which will help us read the Bible and also live appropriately in response. Here it is. Truth number one, this story is not about us. We have to be so careful not to turn this story into just a story about us. See, it's easy to assume that the moral of the story is that Jesus will calm the storms in your life or that God wants to bring us peace at all times. While those are both true, neither are the reason Mark wrote this story down. You see, although Jesus can calm storms, he can and does want to bring us peace, the disciples disciples find themselves at the end more terrified than when they were in the storm. Therefore, the story can't be about storms being settled because the settling of the storm didn't settle the disciples. This story can't be about our peace because the moment there was peace in the water, it was missing in the disciples. Check out their response. Verse 41, they were terrified after the water was calm. This story is not about us. Your story is not about you. The trials you're facing are not about you. The relationships you have are not about you. If only we would have this truth and live it out. But live what out? Truth number two, it's all about Jesus. The book of Mark is all about Jesus. In the first verse of the first chapter, Mark claims that he writes all of it down to share the good news about Jesus, the Messiah. See, he knew his audience, Israel, was expecting the Messiah to come and set up a kingdom on earth. In fact, around this time of Jesus, Israel was occupied by Rome and Jews had this hope and expectation. They knew Messiah would come and they hoped and expected for him to overthrow the Romans and then rule as king. And Mark writes these stories down to articulate who Jesus, the Messiah, actually is. Powerful, authoritative, life-changing. These stories in Mark are powerful because they point to the person of power. Jesus calming the storm is all about enlarging our view of Jesus. You see, the disciples at the end of the story said this, who is this? He speaks to nature and it obeys. You see, immediately after the story, Jesus speaks to a demon and it leaves a man, enters pigs, and those pigs run off a cliff. And how do the disciples respond? In chapter 5, verse 15, again, disciples, terrified. How about those who witnessed it? Chapter 5, verse 17, the people began to plead with Jesus to leave. They wanted, the people that experienced the miracle wanted Jesus to to leave. Jesus made their lives really uncomfortable. And then right after that, you get to Jesus and remember the bleeding woman in the crowd? Jesus is on his way to go do another miraculous healing. But in contrast to the disciples on the boat, just one chapter later, Jesus commends someone for their faith. 
Remember, he rebukes the disciples for their lack of faith, but he commends her for her faith. Do you remember the story? There's this crowd and all these people who are all there for Jesus, but this woman pushes everyone aside and says, I just need his hem. I know I'm aware of who he is. I'm aware of his power. If only I could grab his hem. And it's true, she grabbed the hem of his outfit. Power leaves from him and she's healed. These stories ought to inspire a great sense and awareness of awe and, dare I say it, fear about Jesus rather than a comfortable familiarity with him. These stories ought to expand our current understanding of him, which makes me wonder as I consider that woman who pushes through the crowd. Are you the one in the crowd going after Jesus? Do you know who he is and you got to get not just close, you got to touch him. Are you the one in the crowd going after Jesus or are you content and comfortable just being somewhat close to him? Do you have a shrunken view of Jesus? Has he become comfortable to you? I remember doing a Bible study in the book of Mark and it took someone's uncomfortable perspective on Jesus to change the entire dynamic. The Bible study was functioning like some prior Bible studies had. We opened up the book of Mark, we got to some of the miracles, and then we all said clever phrases or what we liked or what we thought, and we were all impressing each other, and we were all going through the Bible study. And then a friend of mine who I invited to study the book of Mark, and I even told him, I said, we're going to do a book study. By the way, this friend didn't know Jesus at all. I said, we're going to do a book study. He had never been invited to a book study. He says, well, what what, what book is it? And I said, it's the Bible, the book of Mark. He goes, ah, the bait and switch. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I just, I want to, I want to approach scripture with a new perspective. I really want to know Jesus. And I don't just want to come with my prior thoughts about him. I want to be changed by who he is. And I want to see him in a new light. So therefore I need your perspective in order for that to be accomplished. He said, you know what I'm in? And he showed up. And he was the only one in the room that didn't have a prior relationship with Jesus. But he was also the only one in the room that asked questions that changed the dynamic of the room. See, all of us had our clever quotes. We had our prior knowledge. We had our, we were making connections. We were all impressing each other until my friend chimed in. What the? And then he filled in a different word. (laughs) Who is this? See, he didn't know fully. And I believe Mark writes these stories down to say any view you have of Jesus is not the full picture. Would you open up the potential of your lives being expanded? See, perhaps we've adjusted our view of Jesus in such a way where he doesn't interrupt our lives. Do you remember the disciples' response? Who is this? And they'd been hanging out with him. They had been walking with him. Yet seeing what Jesus had done made them question everything. And we too must ask this question of this text. Who is this? Who is Jesus? Yes, he is gentle and meek, but he's also king of kings and lord of lords who has absolute authority over all, including the wind and the sea. Is this the Jesus you know? Because it's the real Jesus whose words have power and speak authoritatively. His words created the sea in Genesis and then calmed the winds and the waves in Mark 4. Do his words move you? The disciples saw Jesus' miracles, and he even explained his parables to them. But it's easy for them and us to forget what Jesus did yesterday or said yesterday when we're going through the storms of today. So here's what we need to know. One, the story's not about us. Two, it's all about Jesus. And three, here's the crazy thing. 
his story throughout all of history, while it's not about us, this is crazy. It involves us. How? See, we have Jesus' words too. And we need to trust his words. In fact, do you remember what Jesus said first to the disciples? Verse 35, before they go into the storm, Jesus said, let us go over to the other side. He let them know in advance that they would make it to his destination. And we can know the same truth today too. We can know our future if we trust in Jesus. If only they would have trusted Jesus' words, words that would give them perspective in the storm, and if only we would trust them too. See, faith fails when we allow circumstances to override God's word. When we trust that Jesus has when we trust that Jesus has purpose in everything, we'll find purpose in everything. Why does God allow us to go into storms or experience difficult circumstances? So that we will learn to fear him more than our circumstances. Because, remember Proverbs? It's the beginning of fear. It's the fear of Jesus, the fear of God that is the beginning of wisdom. If you fear him above all else, you'll trust his words above all other voices. Then, outside of Jesus' church, you'll have nothing to fear. We have his words. He invites us to play a part of his story. What words do we need to trust today? After his death and resurrection, at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 28, he gathers his disciples before he ascends into heaven and he says this. Do you remember it, Matthew 28? All authority has been given to me. I imagine the disciples going, "Uh uh-huh, they saw it. We are reading about it. All authority has been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. How do we know what he's commanded? We listen to his words. We trust and obey. And then he promises, and surely I'm with you always. See, trust in his words gives us perspective, and obedience gives him glory. Francis Chan made this amazing illustration with his children, and I'll I'll use it using my own kids. Imagine if I told my son, Foster, I need you to go clean your room. Imagine if he said, okay, and he ran off to go clean his room, and he came on back, and he said, okay, Mom, I memorized what you said. I said, what? He said, you said this, go clean your room. I said, okay, and then I walked in. Imagine if his room wasn't clean. Be confusing, right? Or imagine if years later he came back and said, okay, so me and my friends had this in-depth study study about what it would look like if we were to clean our room. We talked about it. That's not enough, because guess what? His room is probably still not clean. Or what if he even came back years later? I learned it in Greek. What? No. Go clean your room. Do what I say. Do Jesus' words move you? When you read them, let them move you because in letting them move you, you'll be joining in as a part of what he's up to, the story that's not about you, it's all about him, but absolutely involves you as you trust and obey. Obey his words and trust what he says. See, he promised at the end of Matthew 28 that he's with us always. So would you receive these words? You're not as alone as you feel, no matter what storm you're going through. See, at the end of the Gospels, he gives this great commission, multiple actually. Then in Acts chapter 1, the next chapter in the story, he ascends into heaven. 
And in Acts chapter 2, he descends by the power of the Holy Spirit to dwell within those who believe. If you've given your life over to Jesus, you have God's presence. Jesus is still speaking. And now he's with us always so that we can share his truth through our mouths. The story is not about us. It's all about Jesus, but it involves us. He wants to showcase his love through our hands, his compassion through our hearts. Jesus showcases his authority through our humble submission. It's not about you. Anything you're going through, any scripture you read, it's all about Jesus. But the story involves you, so trust and obey. I'll end like this with a story. One of the very last in-person speaking engagements I did was in Tennessee about four months ago. I left my home at five in the morning, and because I left my home so early and slept the entire flight, I had to get ready at in the airport bathroom. Classy, right? I know. I began doing my makeup and I had about 15 minutes and I heard a woman begin to cry in the bathroom stall behind me. <sighs> but what do I do? What do you do? And even as I've been reading through the book of Mark, I feel like Jesus at times just wanted to get away, but the people just kept coming to him. But I There's a lot of people that have a lot of expectations of us, but Jesus invites us to be a part of something really big beyond anyone else's stories or anyone else's needs. What do I do in this moment? I want to, someone needs something from me, but I'm tired. In fact, I had to leave in 15 minutes. I had all the excuses. I made a deal with God. Mind you, I didn't actually converse with him. I just told him of my plan. If she's still crying in 12 minutes, I'll do something. So I'd set the timer on my watch and 10 minutes go by and staring at my watch and uh, nothing. And she's kind of like letting up and I'm thinking, okay, this is going to be okay. And then at the 12 minute mark, she wails again. How do you even approach someone in a bathroom stall? I mean, do you knock? Do you say something? This can't be what God wants. And then I remembered God's word. That's what came to mind. Matthew 28 and the purpose of going anywhere. This entire trip was not about me. Going anywhere in life is not about me. Jesus, it's all about you. If the way you want to reach this lady is going to be through my body, you're going to need to tell me what to say. So I waited and I listened. And again, scripture just coming to mind. And then I knocked and I said what the scripture means to me. And I knock, knock, knock. I said, lady, you're not as alone as you feel. God cares about your tears. There was at least five seconds of silence. Door swings open, eye contact. She grabbed me. You have no idea what you just did. 30 seconds ago, I was at the end of my rope and I cried out to God. She said, in my prayer, I said, do you even care? I feel so alone. And you said almost immediately, lady, you're not as alone as you feel. God cares about your tears. Church, can we trust his words and obey? God's story is still being written. The miraculous is still happening all around us. And while it's not about us, it involves us. Will you join him? You see, I tell you this story not for you to be proud of my four seconds of obedience or to critique my 12 minutes of thinking my makeup mattered more than her tears. (laughs) Because this story, like every moment in our entire life, is not about us. It's all about Jesus. 
church, can I remind you that the rest of Jesus's life answered the disciples' question in the boat. Do you care? He cares. Enough to come, enough to die for us, and with enough authority and power to defeat sin and death and raise to life for us. He cares. And in the church era, the era that we're currently living in, he inspired Paul to tell us that we, by the way, are his body. The way he cares is through us as we hear his words, trust him and obey. He'll use everything, your obedience, your quiet time listening, your little faith, your storms, your faults, your fears, your Bible studies, and your 12-second acts of obedience when someone is crying in a bathroom stall. Your life is all about Jesus. And as you discover more of who he is, choose to trust his words and obey. Will you pray with me? Father, reorient our minds. Give us your perspective on everything we're going through. Help us read your words, trust and obey. I pray this week we would be moved by your words. I pray that we wouldn't take circumstances as personally, but we would find you and what you might be up to in all circumstances and in all trials and storms. But God, we're going to need your help to remember. We love you. Help us trust your words and obey, we pray. And all God's children said, amen.